right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Higher Journeys. I'm your host, Alexis Brooks, and I am so excited and delighted that you are joining me today. I'm excited and delighted because I love having conversations like the one that I just wrapped up. I'm so excited, in fact, that typically where I will go shoot the intro somewhere else, uh, take a little bit of a break and, and ramp up, I wanted to do it immediately after uh, concluding with my guest, who is Rob McGregor, a brilliant author, the other half of Trish McGregor, Trish and Rob. If you've watched our show before, you undoubtedly know who they are. Absolutely brilliant writers, both of fiction and nonfiction when it comes to phenomena. Rob uh, recently released a book. Uh, I don't know how many books he's written at this point. Bestsellers. He's, he's an award-winning author of fiction called Tulpas. This is a heck of a ride, guys. Uh, it's a fiction book, but it's based on the concept of thought forms that are said to be able to manifest as autonomous consciousness, physical beings. We're going to get into that today. I'm not going to go into it because he does it better than I do. We do it pretty well together, but that's what this show is about. We're going to be talking about the tulpas in this sci-fi, uh, he, he says, Inception meets, there's another movie that's like it, I can't name right now. Uh, it, it's it's sort of a collection of some sci-fi movies that you know, uh, but with the tulpa as the centerpiece, and they essentially take over the world. Really creepy but really fascinating. Let's check this out and you'll get to see all the things that we talk about that we weave into concepts that you all are probably familiar with that makes the idea of a tulpa quite plausible. Let's take a listen. Well, Rob McGregor, this is the first time I have had you on without your other half. I won't say better half. I'll say, because <laughs> you know, I call you the, the dynamic duo of synchronicity and other things these days. <laughs> but I'm so delighted to have you. How are things in Florida? Oh, pretty good. Uh, we're sitting here in uh, mid-December uh, in uh, 80 degree weather. And, uh, <laughs> and we're about to have a blizzard tomorrow. Uh, okay. So there's some contrast. Well, yeah. <laughs> glad you're enjoying the sunshine. I am really excited to talk about your latest work. I mean, journeyers out there, everyone, I, I want you to know who you're witnessing here. Uh, I, I think the world of both Trish and Rob, but Rob as a writer, both of them as writers, celebrated writers, award-winning, best-selling. Every uh, accolade you can imagine has been bestowed on this gentleman. He's not only a brilliant nonfiction writer, but a novelist. That's what we're going to be talking about today in your new book. The It's not The Tulpa, it's Tulpas. Tulpas, yeah. Just right. Tulpas. Yes. So this is juicy. Uh, it's interesting because in our last show with Alex Sakiris of Skeptico, uh, as I mentioned to you, Rob, your name came up and the whole idea of Tulpas, which I don't know, Journeyers, if you all know what that is. We're obviously going to get into it. But uh, in having a larger conversation about the dynamic of consciousness and how far it extends, uh, that was the context for which the Tulpa phenomenon came up. And you took the the concept, the philosophy, um, the history even, and wove it into a fascinating novel called Tulpas. And as a matter of fact, in the description on Amazon, it says at the very open, in, this is about Inception meets Westworld. Inception, I know y'all know that, meets Westworld in an original sci-fi novel about a parallel universe only a dream away. 
Yes. Could, so, I read, could I read the back description of the book? You sure can. Go summary? for it. Right. Okay. In Tibetan Buddhism, tulpas, there's the book right there. Uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, tulpas are human-like creatures created through deep meditation. In this compelling story, tulpas take over the subconscious world in a parallel universe where they quickly become invincible. For Bruce Lang and Risa Ferraro, on this side of the dream world, the Tulpa army is just a puzzling nightmare. But for their counterparts on the other side, Alex Brooks and Lydia Cabrera, the Tulpa army dominion is far too real. As the states of reality and dream conver dreams converge in an inevitable clash that may destroy all consciousness in both universes, the four must band together to save what is left of reality. My first, I have two questions right off the bat. What inspired you to write a book of this depth and this, I did, I don't know, craziness right now, not right now, but re in recent history, anything yeah. happening now that inspired you to write something like this? Um, I can't say that. Uh, I know there's uh, this phenomena of tulpas out there where there's a lot of websites and blogs where people are talking about creating their tulpas. I knew nothing about that when I wrote this book. Not, not a thing. Uh, my inspiration came from uh, a book I read 20, 25 years ago uh, that was published in 1932. It's called Magic and Mystery in Tibet. And it was written by a French woman named Alexandra David Neal. And she was the first foreign woman uh, to enter the Potala uh, Palace in uh, Lhasa, the spiritual capital of Tibet uh, in, the, in the 30s or I think late 20s. And to do so, she disguised herself as a young man. Mm -hmm. And she, beca she became a, a Buddhist monk trainee or acolyte uh, in the B Buddhist monastery. And uh, she learned from the monk who was training her how, uh, about creating uh, tulpas and eventually uh, thought, thought form beings that uh, manifest from deep meditation. And these beings, she found out, could actually take on a physical presence. And so she succeeded herself in creating one, but it didn't turn out too well. It was kind of an egg-shaped being with little arms and legs, and it had a real nasty personality. And so, uh, and it was acting independent of her. And so mm -hmm. finally, her, the monk, her, trainer, uh, teacher had to show her how to, she had to learn how to disperse the essence of the tulpa and, and banish it uh, from our reality. So that, that was the inspiration mm -hmm. that I started with. And that's how I, I have not read that book, but uh, I, I found out about uh, Alexandra David Neal's work through Neil Kramer, who wrote the book Unfoldment, a brilliant book that also talks about her, her sojourns with this monk and the fact that uh, she, she says she was able to actually create a tulpa. And now I remember some of the details that you that you had mentioned in terms of it being kind of awkward, but but having sort of this independence about it, really becoming a, an autonomous figure. I've heard this before though, Rob. Let me just get your opinion. Do you feel, similar to like remote viewing, do you think that creating something like this can be taught? Apparently, uh... It's what's going on right now. Uh, there are groups that are uh, meeting through the internet and their lessons. 
being uh, provided. And what I think, though, is that the uh, what they're learning is not really to the extent of projecting the beings to come into physical reality, but it's like somebody inside their head they're talking to. And uh, sometimes what what uh, initially what people were doing was creating the personality, the sex, the age, uh, and description of the the entity that they wanted to uh, be their tulpa, and that then so so an older man might have a younger woman as his tulpa, and supposedly his voice might even change when uh, the tulpa takes over uh, his body. Uh, and more recently, I've heard the tendency now is to let the tulpa decide who they are, what they look like, and what age they are. And uh, so, but when I wrote this book, I didn't know anything about this, uh, this phenomena that was going on. So it's, it's kind of a surprise to me. Are you familiar with the Slender Man? I believe it is phenomenon. The Slender Man. Slender Man. It's uh, and I really don't know a lot about it. It was someone that brought my attention to it. A very similar experiment, or perhaps even a joke, where a young man, I believe, decided to to draw a figure, and he described his figure as Slender Man. And the bottom line is, through social media and internet in general, it matriculated throughout a bunch of, I, I would say, the millennial. Uh, generation or even younger and since then people young people primarily have reported seeing what this uh, was described as slender man looking the same i don't know hmm. but it's it's fascinating and there seems to be a fascination with the idea of creating another uh you know uh without the means of how we typically create other beings yeah i've with, heard with something that. about yeah i heard something about that but i can't remember whether it's called Slender Man or not. It was started with a psychologist who had on his desk a drawing that one of his clients had made of this man with kind of a round face and balding head and glasses, I think. Uh, and another client came and said, that man is in my dreams. And then it started uh, snowballing that more and more people, it got on the internet, more and more people saying, this person is in my dreams. So I, I think that may be the same phenomena, but I can't remember it being called Slender Man, but maybe that's what it, it was. It could be another. Well, yeah. this, brings, this brings up a, a really major question, Rob, that to me has to do with it. I think it ties in with so many um, pieces of literature that we've read throughout history having to do with consciousness, holographic reality, the field, and the fact that we are all connected remotely to this field and to each other. And so, you know, even the butterfly effect, that phenomenon would touch on the idea that something can be created on one side of the world and be felt, seen, or dreamt of in another. Mm -hmm. So this begs the question, what kind of reality are we living in? Right, exactly. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a question of, uh, you know, it's related to, the, are we in a matrix? Uh, that is, you know, a question that uh, and, uh, which side of the matrix are we on? And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that uh, is uh, a phenomena that a lot of people are experiencing and uh, wondering exactly what is the nature of our reality. It's, uh, it's the major question of the day. 
Absolutely. Well, you refer in the book to, uh, you describe something called the subconscious world. The yeah. subconscious world, when I think of the subconscious, I think of it as a, a not so much a place or even a dimension, but a thought, of the, you know, an aspect of thought that's not necessarily as accessible to us as the conscious world or the conscious thought process. What in, how would you describe the subconscious world as it relates in this book? Yeah, well, the subconscious world basically is a dream world that the, the characters uh, reach through. And what's different than normal dreams is that they keep coming back to the same character and they're, it's a counterpart of themselves. Like they, they exist in their own world, but it's a dream world and they don't know it's a dream world. The tulpas who are in that world know that it's a dream world and they want to, they want the physical world. They want to be here. And that's what the, the nature of this book is about because they are trying to move from the dream world, take over the real world. And uh, so, so one, one of the things that I, I want to go back to for getting in, into it a little more, when I was reading, studying about uh, tulpas, I came across some uh, Buddhist scholars who said, well, there is no term called tulpa in Tibetan Buddhism. So uh, Alexandra uh, uh, made the, might have just made this up. But then later I learned that, yes, there is. A, it's a distortion of a Tibetan world, sprulpa, S-P-R-U-L-P-A, which means emanation or manifestation, which fits the meaning of, of tulpa. So that's just a, a backdrop. You know, so always the question of, you know, how much is story stories like this that come out how much is made up and how much is real and so there is that that basic um, reality that that exists with with tulpas or sprulpas but uh in my novel you know the backstory is that one tulpa has broken free uh to and was and learns how to create other tulpas and essentially starts creating a, an army of tulpas uh, who believe they are superior to humans. And uh, they're living in a dream world and are aware of it. And like I said, uh, that their goal is to break through to the physical world. And the story begins uh, in prologue with a journalist who's in Mexico and he's investigating an army called Dominion uh, that has manifested in Mexico and is on the verge of taking over the country. And it's uh, very popular with tens of thousands of recruits, but no one can figure out who or what is behind this army. Uh, they call themselves Dominion and mm -hmm. more Dominion armies start popping up in other countries. Then. Uh, so then we move uh, to a retired police detective who is having a series of dreams in which he is part of that journalist who is investigating Dominion. And he gradually feels that he is having trouble waking up, separating himself from that man. Uh, and then, you know, he meets this woman uh, in the, the first chapter and uh, who is a psychologist. And uh, he tells her about this experience he's had in his dreams. And what happens is she starts having the dreams with a, her, with a counterpart of hers. And then his daughter does, and then uh, his daughter is not able to wake up, and she's like in a coma. And then hospitals are filling up with people in comas, 
and these oh people God. essentially are becoming tulpas themselves. They're inside wow. the dream character. And so you wow. have two, basically two types of tulpas. So, so when you're in the, the other, in the, the person in the dream world, you can communicate with that person. So you, so, so the, the physical world, people actually become tulpas in the dream world. So it's a, it's a multi-level. Uh, it's a story. mind twister for sure. <laughs> and yet everything that you're saying, Rob, I hear elements of anecdotal nonetheless, but elements of stories that people have told throughout the years up to present day. You know, let's talk about the dreamscape for a bit, because anytime you bring in a phenomena that includes the dream, I call it the dreamscape because I think it's like a landscape. And yeah. how real is it? And and do we have the ability or do our dreams, some of them have the ability to bleed through into physical reality? Let me give you an example. And I'm sure you've heard you and Trish both have heard of this. I know someone personally who I'll ne never forget. She told me one day. Alexis, I had this crazy dream that uh, I was being chased by a snake, big rattlesnake, let's say, and the snake bit me on my arm. She said, when I woke up in the morning, true story, guys, I had what looked to be teeth marks on my wrist. Wow. What are we talking? Have you heard of such a phenomenon of really, I call it a, a bleed over, literally a, 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 an intersection between non-physical and physical reality with physical effects? Yeah, I've never heard uh, something quite like that, but uh, certainly it's uh, it's a possibility of uh, what. One of the things that I've heard though is that uh, people who are more advanced dreamer dreamers called lucid dreamers who mm -hmm. are able to come awake in their dreams and manipulate the dream characters and banish them or do whatever they want, sometimes discover a dream character who is independent, who can, they cannot manipulate, who seems to be an uh, independent entity, not part of the part of their own dream imagination. So th that's a that's a interesting phenomenon. It sounds like you captured all of your arduous years of research. So much of it are, is woven into this novel. Um, so I, you're breaking up again. I can't uh, I can't hear what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, journeyers, we're having a hard time. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Isn't that bizarre? Let raise your hand when you can. Okay, I got you. I got you. <laughs> we're on. We're on a, another platform. It's not Zoom and it's not uh, Skype. So bear with us. I hope. I hope we don't. But here's the other thing. I'm going to ask you to turn that little beep off. <laughs> if you uh, can. It, yeah. Somebody's okay. really texting yeah. away there. Mm, let me get that. Uh, <laughs> see if I can. While, while Rob is doing that, I'm going to talk to the audience okay, for a minute. Okay. So, oh, no, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I was going to chat with the audience. I think this is a, a, an exciting, a bit frightening, unnerving, uh, you know, idea. And many people feel, Rob, that novelists like yourself, particularly in the sci-fi arena, are even at a subconscious level, maybe getting some of this material from an aspect of reality that you're, that you're sort of, uh, bumping up against or have experienced in some level, or maybe I, this, this would be really going out on a limb, but what if, I mean, this sounds like a takeover by non-human intelligence. If you want to just boil it down, yeah. such thoughts have been proffered, have been put out there as a very real thing. Do you think at some level this is coming from, or this came from some ideas that you're getting on a subconscious level? 
Oh, no doubt about it. You know, that, really? uh, that we're, you know, our, where do I, people always ask, where do you get your ideas from? And, uh, you know, I said, I don't know <laughs> where they come from. I mean, in this case, I can particularly uh, associate it with that book I read, but uh, most of the time in stories uh, that I just, uh, when an idea comes to me, I, I really don't know where it, where it comes from, how it, how it manifests from the unconscious. And also in writing stories, I get to a point where I'm blocked. I, I just start uh, asking for uh, help. Uh, sometimes I type it uh, on the computer, asking questions, and uh, I may take a little walk and come back and there they are, there's the answers. And I had no idea how that came about and how I found this uh, particular solution to the resolution to the problem I was facing. But uh, I just know that that's going to happen. You know, it's, uh, I've never been blocked for, you know, uh, days or weeks or months or anything like that. Uh, it's, I just have to uh, put the question out there and ask. I don't know who I'm asking or where it's coming from, subconscious mind or whatever. So you say you sometimes type it out on the computer? Right. As uh, an exercise to kind of yeah, get... Just, uh, right, yeah. Uh, to uh, So maybe it's right in in the, the manuscript I'm working on. I, you know, oftentimes I'll, I'll put it in all caps and uh, I'll, I'll address the, the question, I the, the, the situation I'm in, the question I have. And, uh, and let put it out there and see what happens. And how do you, is there a form typically that it will, the answer will come through or is it anywhere? The, uh, it just, it just comes to me that I'll, I'll know what to do. And sometimes it's also, I, I've, I've been working on a very challenging uh, project uh, in the last uh, few weeks, several weeks actually. And um uh, trying to work out the details of this story and it, it takes place in India and Mexico and Amsterdam and San Francisco and it's a very complex uh, story re related to uh, uh, a lost master of Baroque art uh, who is discovered by this PhD uh, uh, student and uh, the opposition she has because the person is the illegitimate son of Rembrandt. And it's a it's a complex story, but I, I, I kept getting blocked and blocked. And uh, uh, I would wake up at five in the morning, 4.30, and start thinking about it and that I'm blocked. Uh, and suddenly when, when I get, when I get up, I usually get up about 6.30, there's the answer right there. You know, it's so I'm in that half sleep mode and uh, putting the question out there and it comes Absolutely. Comes. Yeah. I, I just serendipity. I just did a conscious commentary episode talking about the hypnagogic state of which is a potent state for me. That's the state yeah. you're talking about. Right. You know, I think we all sort of have our, I call it a canal where information will come through uh, whatever form uh, mm. verbal, you know, uh, uh, however uh, sight. But for me, the process typically happens when I'm looking for something or not, something that I need to be paying attention to when I'm about to wake up. Just before mm -hmm. I wake up, I'll get the most obscure, random, and maybe not so random sometimes thoughts and ideas and inspirations in the hypnagogic state. Yeah. Could I read a quote I have in the beginning of my book? Absolutely. That relates uh, 
to that what I was talking about about the dream state. Okay, this is a, a quote by Michael Wagoner, who is author of Lucid Dreaming: Gateway uh, to the Inner Self. Finally, I knew that dream figures were much more complex than people realized. Some appeared to possess a type of awareness, a type of conscious volition. Perhaps they were sub-personalities, conscious fragments, or archetypal energies, but their independent agency increased my uncertainty about the dream realm. So he was having these experiences where <clears throat> there was an uh, entity that uh, was not just part of his imagination that seemed independent, but in that dream state, but in the dream. I think the operative word is seems and, and what is real. And this brings yeah. me to the question of really two things. The holographic model of reality, I think, is largely a curious, uh, I, I think you'd have to bring that part of that philosophy, that theory of the fact that we may be living in a hologram r rather than uh, an individuated or, or separate reality. Uh, could tulpas, as an example, be a holographic projection in some way, though emanating from one form of consciousness and into another? Well, we could be uh, projections ourselves from a deeper reality, exactly. Absolutely. That, you know, uh, this holographic uh, world exists, uh, exists in a subconscious uh, realm or uh, another realm, and that projects uh, into the, this physical world where things seem to be uh, going in a way that their normal reality cause and effect where the origins is a world where there's, synch uh, where there's synchronicity, where synchronicity is at the borderline between this deeper world and our physical world. It shows that at this deeper world, uh, things are not the same as uh, cause and effect. Things happen in a different different way. Interesting. Uh, yeah. hmm. uh, could, could I read a passage of my book that talks about- You can read anything you'd like. <laughs> okay. Go right ahead. We love yeah. it. Go okay. for it. So this is, this is uh, when the, uh, the one particular tulpa comes into physical reality. He makes it into the physical world. And where he, where he is, is actually in, in Disney World. And uh, so, because there's, I mentioned that because it, that, that comes up. Okay. The fabric of life seemed denser and time felt incredibly linear, one moment following another. The dream world had fluctuated, existing like a movie that he both watched and participated in, ideas manifesting as a collective dream. Now the movie had merged into reality with an explosion of sensation, extraordinary colors and textures and shapes that could be touched and sensed. Even the fantasy world of theme parks assumed a mechanical reality rather than a magical magic kingdom without foundation. Best of all was the new sensation of consuming food and experiencing taste, experiencing taste, hunger and satisfaction. But there was something more, something less definable than sensual desires, never born of a woman, never existing as a baby or child, he had arrived fully developed, a flower blossoming from a mental bud with the collective knowledge of his kind. Now his sense of self had migrated from the collective vision of tulpas to his individual notion of self, 
what the humans referred to as ego. To that end, his individual will needed nurturing and protecting. Wow. There's quite a bit of spiritual philosophy. There's, you know, there are ideas, again, that are almost academic. Not academic, that's not the right word, but it's more than just... There's there's literature on this, what you're talking about here, and, and, and how lucid the description is. This, uh, this either world, other world, other world, worlds that we see. Many people say is more real than this reality. Yeah. Let's talk about AI. This is another curious thing that came up to me. I'm talking about artificial intelligence. And of course, there's a lot of discussion these days about how independent they seem to be becoming. In other words, some of the robots that are being developed, Rob, they say can eventually be self-taught. There are a lot of curious, there's a curious juxtaposition, let's say, between AI capability in terms of, you know, robotic uh, uh, life and the tulpa. What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. That's a, that's a curious uh, fact because you, you think of AI as being something, beings that, are with, without heart, without feeling. And are they going to be capable of those sensations, that emotions? That, you know, that's, uh, that's the curious thing. They, maybe they can mimic them, but can they really have a heart? Uh, so that, that's, you know, but they are getting smarter and smarter and, and more independent. My Alexa on the uh, the desk here yesterday started playing music on its own. I didn't ask for that music. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, I said, Alexa, stop. And I walked away and five minutes later, she's playing, playing something else again. You know, <laughs> well, the question is, were there songs that you actually like or were thinking in your mind at the time? That's where it gets creepy. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, it was songs I'd never heard of, but I liked them. You know, it was okay. It was yeah. like, and, and then I, I mentioned that to my daughter. She said the same thing happened to me. Alexa came on twice playing music, you know, that, I, and uh, she didn't like the music that she. <laughs> Wow, she, she was uh, she was getting. <laughs> who knows where this is going? Who knows where it is right now? And who knows from whence it comes? If that makes sense, what if the idea and perhaps the technology itself for where they want AI to go is derived from ancient history, including the tulpa? Or I think there's another term, Rob. You probably will know. Golem? Is it a golem? Golem, yeah. Golem. Yeah. And then the idea of the jinn also comes to mind. There the seems jinn, yeah. to be crossover in these these beings that have been have emerged throughout history, particularly as it relates to. Let's see if you can you can tap this. It's said in the uh, in the uh, particularly the Buddhist ancient Tibetan Buddhist culture that the tulpa, or not really the name. What did you say the name was again? Uh, it was. Um, it Sounds like tulpa. Yeah, it sounds like tulpa. Um, let's see. I can find it here. Oh. Yeah, sprulpa. Sprulpa. Yeah, S-P-R-U-L-P-A. Interesting. Sprulpa. Yeah. It's a little harder yeah. to say. Nonetheless, yeah. that these were beings 
who were created to be sort of domestic helpers. These weren't created to, to self, uh, um, to live autonomously and to eventually take over the world, but rather to right. be little helpers. Yeah. And I will never forget a story that a dear friend of mine told me who is Egyptian. And she uh, told me years ago that I believe it was either her grandmother or aunt who had a neighbor who confided in my friend's uh, relative mm -hmm. that a jinn had come to visit her. And the jinn said to her, I'm here to, to help you, nothing more. And I will do anything you ask. This is supposedly a true story. Uh -huh. A jinn that came into the home, physically manifested, and said, I'm not gonna, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. I can help you with chores, I can help you with this. She went along with it. He said, but there's one caveat, one condition. If you tell anyone that I exist, you'll never see me again. Wow. <laughs> True That's story, at least yeah. as it was told to me. So again, this idea of, of a very mysterious intelligent or some form of intelligent uh, created being there to be of assistance mm -hmm. to people like you and me. Yeah. What it's do you think about that? It's kind of like you're referring to tulpas as non-physical robots, uh, but except there's uh, uh, just like AI is developing now that they seem to have more a sense of independence mm -hmm. and uh, can be helpful. But, uh, you know, the history of the Dijin is, uh, is not a positive one. They're, they're like uh, evil entities uh, historically in the Arabic world. Well, this particular, she called, uh, the woman referred to this man as a jinn, but a helpful jinn. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I yeah. don't know. There just seems to be some crossover characteristics that I find that I find quite curious. And by the way, uh, folks, th this woman was sworn to secrecy and say, if you ever speak my name or ever tell anyone that I exist, I will, you'll never see me again. Well, she eventually told my friend's relative, I think it was the grandmother, the moment she did, he never came back. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. We talked briefly, Rob, a few days ago about this whole idea of Tulpa uh, and also Dolores Cannon, the late Dolores Cannon's uh, idea around something she called backdrop or background people. Yeah. It sounds almost identical, it, particularly in that she feels or what the information that she got at the time said that these are almost like extras that exist all around us right now. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I, when you first mentioned that I wasn't familiar with it and I looked it up from a number of different sources, did a little research and it, it seems like these backdrop people, the idea is that they're people who exist around us that we don't really communicate with, have anything to do with that. If you're in a crowd, there may be some of these backdrop people there. And uh, what one source said was that these are people who are on, might be on a, a lower level of existence, uh, like a, a, a more dense form of uh, the physical reality. And if you're at a little higher sense that you you don't have anything in common with them and you wouldn't communicate with them that uh but you know that um 
you know, it sound might sound a little arrogant to some people that you're higher than those other people, right. backdrop people. But that was one of the descriptions that was uh, that was given. Well, it's interesting because back to Neil Kramer's book, uh, The Unfoldment. I think I'm going to list that along with yours in the description for the show because it's a fabulous book. And again, it's not about tulpas, but he does include that as a part of the context. And I guess his uh, ultimate idea or his advice was assuming these individuals not individuals or this form of consciousness is does exist and maybe walking amongst us right now does not mean that we should treat them any different than someone that we feel is a real flesh and blood human being right exactly. uh, so it, it's just quite quite interesting yeah, you, you don't uh, uh, treat them as something less than than human uh because if uh if you were so advanced yourself you wouldn't even see them so the fact that they're in your reality <laughs> says something in itself you know mm. and yet by treating them as equal or in some cases maybe even greater could turn them into the army that you describe in your novel you're giving them <laughs> too much attention they could turn on you <laughs> so, right yeah you don't, you don't know Oh my gosh. I know this book is going to be a great read for me. I'm really excited. I, I wasn't able to get through the whole thing, but I, folks, I'm going to tell you, I read the prologue this morning and I thought, oh my God, he got me. I'm not a big <laughs> novel reader, Rob. I'm, you know, we're both researchers. Yours culminated yeah. into these grand works of award-winning books, best-selling books. Uh, but I have to tell you, this is one. There's one other novel that I can tell you that I love and again, because it relates to so many ideas that we study as researchers, and that is What Dreams May Come by Richard oh, yeah. Matheson. Yes. That, oh. that is a great book. I love Isn't, that book. And the movie was, it wasn't, it, it's not that it wasn't good, but the, the book has so much rich detail yeah. and so many relatable things that you're familiar with in your research is with me. Mm -hmm. That's not the only novel that I can think of. There are a couple, but that one. And yeah. I have a feeling yours is going to be up there too. So okay, I'm yeah. going to, just the way you wrote it, it's a teaser, guys. But guess what? Speaking of that, how's this for a segue? Rob is kindly, and by the way, Rob and Trish McGregor both are uh, journeyer contributors. They're contributors to the Higher Journeys blog. So excited. We're still just getting that off the ground. But Rob was kind enough to post the prologue for us, the prologue of Tulpa's on blog.higherjourneys.com. So I do hope that you will uh, partake. Go on, head on over there. I'll put up a banner in a bit so you can uh, check that out. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will be hooked. You will be hooked. Tell us where you can get the book, Rob. Beside um, Amazon. I know yeah, Amazon. Where else? Yeah, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, online, uh, are, I guess the two main, but but also uh, you can go to Crossroad Press. Uh, you know, that's where I like people to buy it because I get more royalties there from the publisher. <laughs> we love honesty. Okay, yeah, we'll put right. that we'll put that link. In there. <laughs> and it's on audiobook as well. Yes. Yes, uh, audio. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, print, digital, and audio. Excellent. You don't waste any time. Well, I'm proud to say I gotta, I'm going to put a little plug in for our book together that I had the pleasure of narrating for Rob and Trisha McGregor phenomena okay. do you talk about does Tulpa come up in phenomena at all I'm trying to recall I don't think we talk about Tulpas in uh, phenomena that's interesting yeah because uh, you covered so many things my god uh, you have this is basically the 101 for me when it comes to anyone that's interested in phenomena 
mm-hmm. aptly titled, uh, you cover so many things. That's why I was like, I, I don't recall reading anything having to do with the Talbot. That's interesting that we didn't mention. You didn't. I'm sure there are many other things we didn't mention as well, but some so many yeah. phenomena. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you as always. We we love you both. Our audience loves you, and you're a brilliant, dude. G- give me a couple of the awards you've won because I don't have your bio in front of me. I won the Edgar Allan Poe Award for fiction writing uh, for a uh, novel called Prophecy Rock that takes place on the Hopi Indian Reservation, and uh, that was uh, one that was uh, listed as a young adult book, but it uh, it's because the character is. Uh, like a senior in high school, but it's, you know, it's, it can be read by anyone. Love it. And then you did, you did a little something with Indiana Jones and the George Lucas organization. Yes. Yes. I wrote seven Indiana Jones novels, including the last crusade. And that, that one, they gave me the script and I adapted it into a novel and it was on the New York times bestseller list. So they said, Hey Rob, how would you like to write uh, some original Indiana Jones novels? And George Lucas said, why don't you go into the 1920s before the movies when he's just starting his career as an archaeologist? So I, I did six novels that were uh, in the 1920s. So I, co- I covered that decade for Indiana Jones as he's starting his career. And you're just so, so, what's the word I want to use? Unassuming about all of these accolades. Well, that's why I can do the bragging for you. <laughs> Kudos to you on a brilliant career. Like I said, we were talking about both you and uh, Trish on my last show with Alex Sakiris, who loves you. And he's like, I, I don't know how they do it. You, they've written like 100 books. <laughs> this is what they do. I said, this is what they do. This it's is their daily work. It's because we're really old. We oh, please. <laughs> please. Well, you'll have to create a tulpa to finish it out for you. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Oh my gosh, what a pleasure. Don't hang up, Rob. I'm going to say goodbye to the journeyers for now. Go get that book. Go to blog.higherjourneys.com. The prologue will be up there. And I guarantee, guarantee you're going to go, oh my God, I'm going to get this book because it's that good because I am. So there you have it. Tulpas by Rob McGregor. Thank you so much once again, my friend. Thank you, Alexa. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And always a pleasure to have you join us, journeyers, for Higher Journeys. We'll talk to you real soon. Take care.